Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me this third hour of the program. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I have put it off as long as I possibly could. Um, it is very interesting to see on Fox News what's happening. If you turned on most conservative media these days, you'd be hard-pressed to know much about what Donald Trump is doing, and you would, in fact, uh, everywhere hear Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is all over Fox, which is the dominant share of conservative eyeballs in the country. They, they've got on Tim Scott a lot as well. Uh, they had on Ron DeSantis on Fox and Friends, which is massively watched around the country. And one of the things that DeSantis said on Fox this morning, talking about the future of the GOP, well, I'll let you listen to him in his own words. This is Ron DeSantis, who, by the way, refused to go to CPAC, said there was no reason to go to CPAC. He'll be coming to our conference in August. And, and now just as Republicans, what have we done with Florida? When I got elected, it was a one-point race almost every election between governor and president. Uh, we were able to go from winning by 32,000 votes to winning by over 1.5 million votes, sweeping Hispanics by over 60%, winning Miami-Dade County by double digits. But we have built in uh, an infrastructure for Republicans to where Florida, it should no longer be considered a swing state. I mean, this is a state that we have the strong advantage in now. So he's taken Florida off the map and made it safe for the GOP, something that uh, George Bush did in 1998 in Texas that caused so many to go with him. But that wasn't the only appearance. He also had another appearance on Fox. Wonder who he's talking about here. And then I think the second thing that we did is we had personnel working for us who believed in the mission. And anybody who didn't, if anyone tried to leak or do anything, we got rid of them. And really, for the last four years, I didn't have a single leak in my administration. And you could have the best vision in the world, make the best decisions as the executive. If you don't have people that will carry out that and implement it, uh, then it's not going to amount to very much. Uh, so we had that. So when I would come out and announce our next step, people could take it to the bank. That would be executed quickly, and the results would follow. You, you had a... Oh, who is he talking about, do, do you think? Is, is contrast there with... Um... You could take it to the bank, whatever we said, and we didn't have any leaks. Hmm, makes you wonder the, the 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 subtle subtle jabs there. I say all of this because the Associated Press has a little blurb out, and it's kind of a setting off all sorts of bat signals for all sorts of people as to what is actually happening, uh, and it is that Ron DeSantis. The governor of Florida, an unannounced possible contender for 2024, he's going to Iowa. That's right. Ron DeSantis is headed to Iowa. Not allegedly hitting the campaign trail. He's just just going to Iowa. That's all. He's just going to be there with the governor of Iowa for multiple events. 
Uh, here's the blurb. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is planning trips to Des Moines and Davenport May 10th. The Des Moines Register reports DeSantis will appear with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds at both events. DeSantis has emerged as a possible Republican presidential candidate, although he has not announced if he's running for the White House. DeSantis is on the march. I'm told very reliably he doesn't want to officially announce until the Florida legislature goes home from its session. Uh, He doesn't want his run for the presidency to be viewed as a distraction from good governance in Florida and open himself up to attacks on that front. Very smart, very deliberate. Uh, His polling continues to go very, very well around the country. Some polls have Trump ahead of him. Some polls have him ahead of Trump. At the state level, what is most interesting are the number of state polls that have DeSantis. Now, state polls are not as reliable as national polls, which aren't as reliable as they used to be. But it is an interesting setup here that that we're watching this, seeing this uh, setup. And uh, you've got DeSantis's book rolling out. It's a very deliberate pace there. The other day, I mentioned another possible candidate who had kind of fallen off the radar. The, he, he no longer was being buzzed about. He wasn't being talked about. A lot of people had talked about him. And then suddenly nothing. Everything went quiet. And people started thinking, maybe, maybe he's not really going to do it. Maybe he's not really into it. Suddenly the buzz is back. This from the Washington Post. Glenn Youngkin resumes out-of-state travel amid mixed signals on 2024. He traveled to New York on Wednesday to meet with major Republican donors, making the first of several planned out-of-state political trips amid mixed signals. While stoking renewed interest, the trip comes at an awkward time. Just days after the governor's chief political consultant, Jeff Rowe of Axiom Strategies, seemed to discount his client's chances on national television. On Fox News on Sunday, Rowe said the GOP nomination is a two-person race between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, referring to the former president and Florida governor, both of whom dominated a Fox News poll. The poll put Youngkin at 1%. There's simply no room for a third or fourth or even a fifth person in the race, Rose said. Rowe's remarks were a stunner given that he's Yunkin's chief political consultant, a relationship that went unmentioned on Fox. No one would describe Yunkin's prospects as great, but it would have been useful to have him described as potentially good, at least, said Stephen Farnsworth, a political scientist at the University of Mary Washington. If he had just said at the moment in that quotation, he could have saved himself a lot of grief. Well... Fast forward, that article is from uh, yesterday, and now there's this from a week ago. A top pollster, a political advisor to Glenn Youngkin, insisted there's room for the Virginia governor to enter the presidential race a day after he said it was a two-person race. Damage control by Jeff Rowe. Jeff Rowe, strategist for Yunkin, told the Associated Press that his weekend comments on Fox were not a signal of Yunkin's intentions on or future prospects. The current field and the current race shows two strong front-running candidates, but politics changes in a year is a lifetime. He called Yunkin a unicorn in American politics, the first Republican in more than a decade to be elected governor of Virginia, and only a year after Trump lost to Biden there. 
If Youngkin decides to run, he'll make a lane for himself. He doesn't need a lane created for him. Listen. There are donors who are interested in Glenn Youngkin. There are donors in the Republican Party who don't particularly like Ron DeSantis' culture warrior. Youngkin has fought on schools, but they don't see Youngkin as a culturally iconoclastic, and they do Ron DeSantis. They see DeSantis as fighting the culture war front, leaving some lane to Glenn Youngkin to fight on the economy and other things. They 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 would like DeSantis to, or Youngkin to run. I'm I'm talking to donors on Saturday, as a matter of fact, and some of them I know who are going to be in the rumor big on Glenn Youngkin. Some of them he'll be meeting with in in New York. But I, I've I've got a I, I'm I would be intrigued by a DeSantis Youngkin ticket. When I don't know Jeff Rowe well, I know Jeff Rowe, but I don't know him well. Uh, Jeff Rowe worked for Rick Perry. He's worked for Glenn Youngkin. He's worked for a number of people around the country, very prominent politicians. Uh, he does good work. He's a smart guy. Jeff Rowe does not go on Fox News and say uh, there's not room in the race for a third, fourth, or fifth person. It's a race between uh, Trump and DeSantis. He does not say that if he thinks Yunkin is running for president of the United States. Jeff Rowe does not say that. He is a smart guy. He does not say that. Maybe Yunkin will change his mind. Maybe Yunkin will get in. But it's notable he kind of fell off the radar. He fi- kind of went silent for a little while. Yunkin was everywhere. Everyone was buzzing about him. And then nothing. Silence. And now suddenly he's popping up his head, going to fundraisers as all of this happens. I don't really know. Becca Glover, who is a Yunkin political aide, said the governor's always flattered to have his name come up in conversations about 2024, especially given that he's now a respected leader within the party, not just a new face. He's taken steps that have added to chatter about him, traveling the country, stumping for other Republicans for running for governor, hosting campaign-style policy events within the state, throwing a private event for high-profile donors. An advisor to Yunkin confirmed he's scheduled to meet in New York this week with Republican donors and political figures. Yunkin is a wealthy former private equity executive who loaned his campaign $20 million and has business world contacts he'd be drawing on for campaign contributions. He could run. He could fund. But I don't know that he's going to. That's the thing. I don't know that he is going to run. There's a lot of speculation in large part because everyone knows DeSantis is running, but DeSantis won't just come out and say it. You got Haley. You got Pence is coming. Pence Pence is running. Pence is running. Tim Scott is running. Tim Scott's been on Fox News repeatedly lately, selling his optimistic vision for the country. You got Vivek Ramaswamy, which I think is is somewhat interesting because all of the Trump people are championing him. They amplify him. They elevate him. Uh, I really do think they think that he's the guy who can help them uh, impede Ron DeSantis' message. You got Christy Nome is beginning to beat the bushes. 
the more of the fuel there grows, the better it is for Trump. But I actually think a one-on-one Trump versus DeSantis fight is good for Trump too. It's somewhere in the middle, a balance of, of five, six, seven candidates. That's where all the candidates have time to be on stage together, to have an intriguing debate, to allow their messages to sign. You don't want a coronation. You don't want a coronation, not even for DeSantis. And that, that's kind of what, what I'm pushing on, on donors out there is you do not want to all lay hands on Ron DeSantis. You will immediately have him designated the establishment pick, and you will make it easier for the Democrats in the general election. He needs to be tested. And the presidential campaign is different from a state-level campaign. It's at such next level that just because you ran successfully for a statewide race doesn't mean you can run successfully for president of the United States. You need to be challenged in the primary. Primaries are good. Primaries are very good things. Look at Herschel Walker in Georgia, who was able to avoid his primary altogether. He never engaged, didn't debate, didn't do anything. And all of those attacks came streaming out of the general election and his campaign was called flat-footed. Had they actually engaged in debate and, and participated in the primary, they could have given a dry run, trial run to all of that stuff and they chose not to. They waited for the general and they flubbed it. And that happens time and time again. Primaries are good things. I don't think the Republicans should want a super crowded field. They should want seven people, five to seven people in their Republican primary. Vet them all. Decide who's best. Maybe it's Trump. Maybe it's DeSantis. Maybe it's neither of the above. But at least get them out there and see how they play well with each other. And the irony here is if it's not Trump, it's going to be really damn hard for the Democrats to vilify someone as the second coming of Trump when that person beating. That's one of the geniuses of actually having Trump run, even if he loses, is because it becomes harder and harder to vilify whoever beats Trump as just another Trump when clearly there's something better and different about that person. The Democrats will still use it, but it becomes a lot harder when Donald Trump attacked that person and that person beat him to say he's the same thing or she's the same thing. I actually think having Trump in the race is a good thing for all of the Republicans. It will force them all to be better candidates. So my kid has a queen-size bed. We've got a king-size bed. We got him bull and branch sheets, and he's used them. He had, like, kid sheets, and now he's old enough. He doesn't want the, the action figure sheets anymore. Well, we got lost because, I mean, the sheets look like our sheets, except they're queen-size sheets, and they got put in our closet, and the kid was in despair. We got him bowl and branch sheets. They've gotten softer and softer, and he's like, where are my real sheets? He refused to sleep until we found the real sheets because they're that soft. They're that good. They're made with a 100% organic cotton thread. They get softer in every wash. You can stay cozy all winter long with a set of bowl and branch sheets. They really are that good. We have them on multiple beds in our house. My goodness, my seriously, my kid, uh, he's finally like, my sheets are for kids. I'm I'm grown up now, and... Uh, it's just a, a step of quality above what he had. And now he's like, can't sleep without these sheets. They're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They're made without toxins. They're free of pesticides, formaldehyde, other chemicals. They fit the deepest mattress too, which I love because we have a very thick mattress on our bed and it fits. It doesn't like bunch up and then snap off in the middle of the night when you roll over. You can get 15% off your forced order Bowling Branch sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BowlingBranch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. 
Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. Chuck, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Eric, how you doing today? Good. How about yourself? I'm fantastic. I, I ran, I'm talking about your primary thing. I ran for school board um, in Georgia back in 2018, and having a primary challenger to start with gave me somebody that I could hone my skills against who was already pretty much like-minded like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, speaking the positive, here's why I'm different than this guy. Now, all of a sudden, I go up against the my very big challenger, um, and I I was practiced. I already knew what I was – had an idea what I was doing. Yeah, I, I – okay, so now i got to ask you the question. Winner, did you win or lose? I lost. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> okay, I understand. But you're, you, the point of the primary, absolutely right. It makes you such a stronger candidate because your primary opponents tend to attack you the same way the general election candidate does, and you you prepare for the attacks. You anticipate how to respond to them. It, it's I, – I don't – if you've never run for office – and Chuck, thanks very much for the phone call. Uh, if you've never run for office or run a candidate for office as consultant, it's you, you really think, ah, we could get out of this without a primary. We could we could do so great. But that's not really true because you hone the attacks in a primary because your opponents all come after you. And, and the key to winning the primary is never go into a primary thinking that I'm going to do what it takes to win the primary and then have it cost you the general election. That's one of the number one mistakes that candidates make. Uh, They rush to win a primary, do what it takes to win a primary, but they have then pigeonholed themselves in such a way that they can't actually win a general election. It takes some deliberative thought there. And it looks like DeSantis is doing that. My personal theory, I have no inside knowledge on this at all, none. But my personal theory as someone who has run campaigns in the past is that DeSantis is doing all of the culture war stuff now to lock himself into the Republican primary so that he can pivot to jobs in the economy as he gets further into the Republican primary and heads in, heads into a general election so that voters around the country are actually focused on the jobs and economy stuff and not the culture war stuff that's got him locked in with conservatives. That would be a very smart pivot for him to do because independent, moderate voters, they'll give you license to do the culture war stuff, but to do the culture war stuff, you've actually got to be able to be good on jobs in the economy. People will leave you alone on the culture stuff if you're improving their pocketbook, their 401k. You improve the pocketbook, the 401k, everything else works out. It's in that my sense is that's what he's doing. Glenn Youngkin, of course, could do that as well. Glenn Youngkin's got a great economic record uh, and his private sector background in uh, private equity actually helps him there as well if he can have it avoid being turned into a liability by the Democrats. Interesting, interesting way forward here. Uh, When we come back, We'll keep the conversation going on these things. I got more stuff to talk about with you. Some of it, uh, stuff I meant to talk about yesterday and got distracted by all the fentanyl stuff. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. Happy to have you with me. Uh, Joe Biden uh, told Senate Democrats he is not going to veto a Republican-backed bid to repeal changes to the criminal code in the District of Columbia, raising the stakes on an upcoming Senate vote. 
His disinterest in the veto threat leaves Republicans on track to roll back the D.C. law with the support of at least one Senate Democrat when the chamber takes up the House-passed measure next week. Senator Joe Manchin has already said he'll support the disapproval measure, and Senate Democrats can't afford any more defections uh, than that. They just might get it. The District of Columbia operates as a city council or a county commission with the blessing of Congress. The Constitution sets aside uh, the District of Columbia to be controlled by Congress. The reason being is historic. When the U.S. Congress was meeting in Philadelphia, it essentially got chased out of the city. And at the drafting of the Constitution, uh, Maryland and Virginia both agreed to give up a portion of those states. It was in their strategic interest to keep the capital close to them and form the District of Columbia. Eventually, uh, Virginia's portion was given back to it, Alexandria and Arlington. Um, are, are were given back to Virginia, and Maryland's portion was kept by Congress. And Congress can administer that district how it sees fit. In the 1970s, it decided to allow a, a city council and mayoral form of government in citywide or district-wide elections. And over time, it, it's become more and more Uh, its own entity and now wants state rights, among other things. But District of Columbia passed a change to its criminal code. It was long in the making. It it was uh, almost a decade in the making, this update, this revision to the criminal code. The problem is they went too far. They have gone so far now as as to get rid of cash bail and other things that uh, we know will cause crime to get worse, and crime is already pretty terrible in the District of Columbia. So uh, the Republicans brought this up for a vote a couple of weeks ago in the House of Representatives, and a Democratic member of the House, the morning of the vote, was attacked in the elevator of her apartment complex. It turns out the man who attacked her, she saved herself by throwing her scalding hot coffee in the guy's face. It allowed her to get away from him. The man had attacked multiple people in the past, had been repeatedly let out of jail, uh, not uh, given bail, just just uh, allowed to go. He had mental health problems. His mental health problems weren't treated. And this Democrat and several others sided with the Republicans and passed a repeal of the district crime law. And it can't be filibustered in the Senate. So Republicans in the Senate intend to also... Uh, vote to roll back the district's criminal code. Joe Manchin has agreed he will decide he will go with them. So that's 50-50. All the GOP needs is one more Democrat to side with them. And there's a problem for the Democrats on this. And it all comes down to Chicago. This is from Politico. Chicagoans are bracing for an election that could tear this deep blue city apart. After Mayor Lori Lightfoot's defeat earlier this week, her surviving rivals are everyday and everyday people are readying themselves for an April 4th runoff certain to prod many of the city's barely obscured racial and economic divisions. Everyone's afraid of stating the obvious. 
the five-week battle to win control of the fifth floor of City Hall will perhaps be the city's most racially polarizing contest since Harold Washington's victory in 1983. It's going to be nasty, Democrat Senator uh, State Representative Cam Buckner, who also ran for mayor, said in an interview. People will pick sides. People with a history when it comes to racial sensitivity. There will be a lot of talk about race and class and schools and crime. Although Washington made history as the city's first black mayor, it was a hard-fought campaign of rising black leadership met with political tribalism, freewheeling racism, and a sense on both sides that failure had winner-take-all consequences. It won't be as toxic in 2023 as it was in 1983, but there's a general sense of the city's potential to stumble backward. It's a different turn. I wouldn't say we've moved beyond it, says Larry Luster, a consultant who worked on campaigns for Democratic Senator Dick Durbin and Illinois Kentucky uh, Attorney General Kwame Rowell. It's not an aggressive and outward as it was during the Harold Washington era. People try to say things in a more civil way, but a lot of times those undertones are still there. There are also forces that see an opportunity for proxy conflict. Now, all this is about Lori Lightfoot who couldn't hold on in Chicago because of crime. The two challengers, Vallis is white, ran for mayor in 2019, support school choice. Clay, his opponents claim he'd been a Republican. He says he's a lifelong Democrat. Johnson is black, a Cook County commissioner, a former school teacher, and a paid organizer for the Chicago Teachers Union. And he has advocated defunding the police. Brandon Johnson is hyper-progressive. Paul Vallis is not. Lori Lightfoot, the irony here is that she was the one in the middle. She was the one who wanted to defund the police, just not all the way. Democrats have a crime problem. What's so funny about the Democrats and the crime problem is they try to dismiss it and say it's Republican hype. Uh, Phil Bump in the Washington Post actually ran a story before the midterm saying, crime's not really that bad, it's just Fox News talks about it a lot. You got that? Crime's not actually bad, you people. It's just Fox News makes you think it is. Not the people carjacking you. Not the people mugging you, not the people shooting at you, not the people breaking into your homes. I live in a pretty safe area uh, in in my county. A woman in the next neighborhood over had a guy show up at her home five o'clock in the morning, watched her husband leave for work, and then got into her house. She had a gun. Chased the guy out of there. He didn't get shot. He could have. She probably should have, but she didn't. Don't tell her crime's not really a problem. It's just Fox News generated. And that's part of the Democrats' problem here is they're so convinced that it's not really an issue, that it really is just Fox News, that they don't know how to address it. Down in Georgia... Near me, 
the northern suburb of metro Atlanta is called Buckhead. It is inside the perimeter of the perimeters 285 that goes around Atlanta. It's the financial area of the city of Atlanta. It's where all the big banks are. It's where the big mansions are. The governor's mansion is there. The baseball players' mansions are there. Um, uh, what's his name? Elton John lives there. A lot of famous people. Mariah Carey lives in, in Buckhead. Buckhead has been plagued by crime. Keisha Crimeway Bottoms, the former mayor of Atlanta who moved up to the Biden administration, just decided to quit there. She provoked a crime wave when she decided to stand with the uh, racial grievance protesters after the George Floyd riots. She decided she would stand with them, and they stormed through Buckhead, smashing businesses, burning things down, rioting, and law and order descended. Uh, it just just collapsed. You have these these kids. They still have them out there. They're, they're these water bottle kids. They stand in the median, and they harass people to try to buy water from them. And her genius idea was, well, they're entrepreneurial. We should like, like take this over and make it a city effort and teach them job skills. That was her solution. More than one person had, had gotten into fisticuffs with these kids and then more than one person had a gun pulled. The new mayor of Atlanta is cracking down on this stuff. But it hasn't resolved the fears of people in Buckhead that it's all for show. And they've advanced legislation through the legislature to vote to secede from the city of Atlanta. It would be financially ruinous for Atlanta if Buckhead actually walked away. It would be very messy for Buckhead if they did. But you can't really blame them for trying given what's happened. Although the governor of Georgia has pretty much scuttled the deal today. Uh, the governor in Georgia has said it, it would uh, the way it's structured would possibly be unconstitutional and would cause too many problems for state law, sounding like he's leaning towards a veto without saying a veto, so probably gone. But you can't really blame these people for wanting to do it. And what you heard nationally is something you didn't hear locally in Georgia. Nationally, you heard crime's really not that big of a deal. Locally, I mean, every story is about a crime. Burglary, auto theft, carjackings for a time there in, in Buckhead. Uh, there was a guy actually jogging down the street. Someone randomly shot him. Just random, random shootings. Random shootings. This is happening around the country too. Random shootings in places. And the Democrats keep saying it's not us, it's Fox. It's not really a crime problem. It's a Fox News coverage problem. Except when people don't feel safe, it is a problem. And people don't feel safe across the country. People do not feel safe. From Connecticut to California, people do not feel safe in their homes. When they're out and about driving, they just don't feel it. And for Democrats to say it's not a big deal or, or we're going to fund the police while you have AOC out there and the like saying, no, no, we're actually going to defund them. We want to defund them. It's not a good setup for the Democrats. That's why Joe Biden can't veto this legislation from the Republicans. It's why Joe Biden can't be seen as soft on crime. Now, the fallout here is going to be interesting because progressives are starting to feel the Biden pivot. Joe Biden is pivoting back to the middle for the election. He's going to run and he wants to be seen as more moderate. So he's pivoting, and that's leaving progressives upset. 
Joe Biden is suddenly talking about the debt and the deficit and suddenly talking about reining in spending. He's suddenly talking about getting tough on crime. He's suddenly talking about reforming but funding police departments, trying to have it both ways there. This is, these are big red flags for the progressives. It's, he's starting to sound a little moderate now. They thought they had him. They, they stocked his administration full of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren supporters. They thought they had him, but, but Joe thinks he's got to moderate himself for next year. He's not really sure if it'll be Trump or not. If it is or if it isn't, he's got to moderate his tone. I mean, even in Virginia right now, there's public polling showing Donald Trump would beat Joe Biden in Virginia. It's not really going to happen. There's a year away. Virginia, a Northern Virginia Democrats will turn out in droves, but still the polling is there. And however flawed polling is, people still use it as a guide. So he's got to do something. Democrats have to do something. Lori Lightfoot has lost the mayoral race in Chicago. First time in 40 years an incumbent mayor has lost. And she lost because she was soft on crime. And when they said she wanted to defund the police, she said, no, not really. I just want to reprioritize the money. Code for defund the police. People knew it. People got it. People rose up. And Paul Vallis, a white guy, may return to the mayoral um, suite on the fifth floor of the Chicago um, City Hall because of the crime issue. In a city increasingly non-white, they may put a white guy back in there because he makes them feel safe. Voters want to vote for someone who makes them feel safe. That's the bottom line. And to the extent Democrats forget it, voters will forget to vote for them. Patriot Mobile is out there making sure voters understand Republicans are good on crime and Democrats are bad on crime, and they do it by raising their profits. And with their profits, they support the conservative cause and support conservative candidates. And how they grow their profits is they convince you to take your cell phone business to them. And you get guaranteed great service from them. What you do is you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. They actually have a detailed coverage map. You can look all the way down to your house. Go to patriotmobile.com. Slash Eric, uh, you can put in your address. It'll zoom into your house. It'll show you how good the 5G, the data, the voice is, everything. They give a portion of their profits to the causes you care about. Patriot Mobile, they're Christian conservatives. They operate that way. They support conservative parents against woke school board members. They support the Second Amendment movement, the pro-life movement, so much more. You can also call them 972-PATRIOT. That's their phone number. They've got 100% U.S.-based customer service. So you call Patriot Mobile and tell them I sent you. You get free activation. You get great discounts if you're a veteran, a first responder, an NRA member, a, a parent with multiple lines in the house because of all the kids you have. Uh, they will give you great discounts. Just talk to them about the discounts. You can go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, or you can go 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get guaranteed great service, probably using the same cell towers you're already using. Even carry your existing phone number over to them, and then they take a portion of their profits and give it to the causes you care about. You want your great eye roll of the day? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, uh, this is a new book out from Amber Athe, uh, The Snowflakes Revolt, How Woke Millennials Hijacked the American Media. This is this is one of the anecdotes in here. Reporters at the political news website Politico were warned the word mother could be offensive during a row over transgender coverage. According to the new book, it also details how a reporter was told her stories should be vetted by colleagues acting as sensitivity readers after complaints that she used the term biological woman in a story. Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, you know, it, 
<laughs> wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Uh, Athy writes that a new generation of woke reporters have overtaken American newsrooms. They create a culture of fear in which everyone, including the adults who are supposed to be in charge, are terrified of stepping out of line and becoming a target. At Politico, she described how a, a March 2021 piece by Gabby Orr, who I know, I- I- entitled GOP Seizes on Women's Sports is Unlikely Wedge Issue, it attracted criticism and triggered an internal review. Orr was summoned to a meeting with Politico's Director of Editorial Diversity Initiatives, Robin Turner. He said two colleagues had voiced concerns. During the course of the meeting, Orr was probed about her employment history at the Washington Examiner, a center-right outlet, and asked why the story omitted any transgender voices, though the piece had quoted Kate Oakley, senior counsel of the Human Rights Campaign, an activist organization dedicated to the alphabet gang issues. Orr's colleagues also complained she quoted conservatives, such as American Principles Project Director Terry Schilling, and former White House policy advisor Stephen Miller without contextualizing their comments. Schilling played down the risk of violence to transgender people while Miller said the left's position would drive non-ideological voters to the GOP. Or, her colleagues argued, should have explicitly told readers those remarks were offensive and transphobic. Holy moly. I mean, this is one of the hallmarks of the left in, in communist China were the uh, struggle sessions where people would come in and um, they would be berated for how they had harmed and offended other people. They would yell at them and berate them, accost them. Absolutely uh, ridiculous. Uh, Gabby Orr left Politico, went to CNN. Uh, a seminar followed with three transgender individuals to help the newsroom learn to report on transgender issues. Panelists told reporters that what they thought were neutral positions on transgender issues were probably created by white cisgender men and shouldn't be trusted. Gender words can be rooted in exclusion, including mother. One former political reporter who attended the seminar said the panelists complained the word mother could potentially be offensive when used by reporters and mocked reporters who had a hard time grappling with the implications of using they, them, plural pronouns to describe individuals. That's the political. I, you know, I describe them as left-wing all the time. They do not disappoint. They are absolutely left-wing. And this is where the young wokes in the media are trying to head. Struggle sessions everywhere. Goodness gracious. Talk to you all tomorrow.